This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, this morning, I'm getting ready, and uh, I'm walking through the kitchen, and uh, I slip on some water that was on the floor. I don't know how it got there, but I slipped and fell, and um, I was able to get up after regaining my composure. And ever since then, I have uh, realized that I have pulled some muscles that I didn't know I had. So if I move a little funny this morning, or if I wince... <laughs> Uh, you'll know that's why, and I apologize that it's uh, kind of affecting me this morning, but uh, that's okay. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to talk about a passage of Scripture that uh, it's going to be challenging. Anytime you have the Word of God that's talking about the relationship between the church and the preacher, it's going to be an interesting sermon. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, I've began uh, my preparations this week, and I'm like, well, Lord, do I really have to do this this time? I mean, do I really have to preach it? And when you go verse by verse, you're going to cover things that um, uh, it's easy to, to want to skip over. But you know, I believe that the relationship between the pastor, the pulpit, and the pew is one that deserves attention. Because far too often when divisions come within the church, and you must remember Paul is, has dealt, nothing, uh, dealt with nothing but divisions happening in the Corinthian church. And this was one of them. So divisions can happen between the pew and the pulpit. People can rise up against the pastor. Pastor can try to wield authority that he does not have. People can say things and want to do things and bring further division to the church. But you know, the Lord desired unity. And He desired unity in the church, but He also desired unity as a part of the church. He wanted unity between the pulpit and the pew. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Both sides can pull out all their scriptures and make all their comments. You can pull out your passage of scripture, so could I. But that's not going to heal anything. Charles Spurgeon once said, For ministers are not often estimated rightly. As a rule, they're either gloried in or else despised. At the commencement of our ministry, when our stores are fresh and our energies are full... When we blaze and flash and spend much time in the firework factory, people are apt to think us wonderful beings. And then the apostle's word is needed. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Because you can see divisions can occur not when, not when the criticisms come to the pastor, but did you know that divisions can occur when the pew decides to put too much glory into the pulpit? 
When you start putting all of your trust in me and more trust in what you should rather than in Christ Jesus, you are setting yourself up for division. Because one of these days, men will let you down. I will let you down. You will let me down. It's just a part of our sin nature. As I pointed out in our membership class this morning, we are sinners. Yes, we're born again, but we are sinners. And what do sinners do? They sin. So we're just going to take the text as it is. We're going to let the text teach us. We're going to look at the faults of the Corinthian church. We're going to see what was causing the division and the turmoil. And we're going to offer some healing, I believe, that is also found within this text that can heal division between the pew and the pulpit that may exist here this morning and also to prevent division between the pew and the pulpit in the future. Let's stand together. Let's honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us would seek a submissive spirit to the word that we would all subject ourselves to your truth and your final authority by your word. I pray, Father, that we would seek within ourselves any wayward ways, any areas that we would fall short and respond accordingly. Father, I pray that you would be magnified. I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that this church would be a beacon of hope to the nations, and to our neighbors. But I also pray, God, that we would grow sick and tired and refuse any sort of division to lay within our midst. Father, I pray that we would seek your face this morning, your mercy upon us sinners, and your grace that you will lavish upon us. Father, may you bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Let me give you some things that I believe would help us to receive some healing that will happen when the moments of division occur between you and the pew and I or anyone else in the pulpit. This text tells us several things. The first thing that it tells us is first that ministers are first called to serve as teachers and examples of the word of God. That's what we're called to do. Now, this calling has uh, I can speak a lot about the calling 
I remember very distinctly a calling upon my life. It was one that was rejected and resisted for a long time. I did not consider myself worthy, nor was ministry something that I even desired. But I am proof positive that God, if you seek him, he will make known to you his will and his desires for your life. And you must follow them. Something else that we must consider is that we in the church in this new millennium, for quite some time, we have adjusted and made the calling of ministry and the uh, the office of the pastor a little bit larger than what the New Testament gave to us. I won't say it's necessarily wrong, but I will say it's a little bit larger. For instance, never once in the New Testament did you find a full-time pastor on the church's salary being paid by the church. You remember what Paul did? He was, he was a tent maker. And he tried to fund himself as best as possible for the ministry. Although he was very thankful to the Philippian congregation because they did help fund him. So yes, there is a place for the modern day version of what we do. Yes, there's not anything necessarily wrong with it. All I'm saying is, is that the most important relationship that we must remember, just a foundation is that the relationship between the pew and the pulpit is one that is based on a calling. I have been called as a minister of the Word of God. I have been called to teach and to be an example of the Word of God. First and foremost, we in this New Testament church, in this new millennium, and for decades, and for a while now, we have put upon preachers our human burdens of what we think they ought to be doing, with their time and how they ought to be spending their time. I remember as a, uh, in my early twenties, I got a phone call from a gentleman in the church where I was attending. It was my home church. And he said, Chris, I'm troubled. I said, why are you troubled? He says, a pastor, I go there during the daytime or I'll drive by the church and his car in there. Shouldn't he be studying? Shouldn't he be at the church? What if somebody wanted to go? Uh, what, if, what if the doors needed to be unlocked so someone could come and pray? I said, well, I said, were you wanting to go in and pray? Well, well, no, I was just saying, okay, well, then what does it matter? Maybe he was out doing something that needed to be done. Tending to his sheep or maybe tending to his own family. You see, we've gotten very good. As a body of Christ, we've gotten very good at establishing what we think the preacher ought to be. Preachers have gotten very good at establishing what they ought to be doing. And I will tell you that both of us can be wrong. Bible tells us in the book of Acts, when they were first calling the deacons, they were quite adamant, the ministers at that time, the apostles were quite adamant, that we must not neglect the ministry of the word and prayer. If you want to know where my job description begins, it begins on those two points. But Paul said, you must regard us as servants. The King James uses the word ministers. Other translations uses the word servants. Both words come from one Greek term and it means an under rower. That's an important part of this text that we must not forget. 
You see, the city of Corinth that I have, as I have pointed out to you before, it, it rested or it lied on, a, on an area of, of land where, where, where ships were actually raised up and transported across a narrow sliver of land and dropped on the other side so as to avoid a lot of mileage over, over troubled seas and troubled waters. It was a way that they could safely move a vessel. And the Corinthians were used to seeing boats coming across, vessels of cargo and also vessels of war. And one of the unique characteristics of these vessels they were accustomed to seeing was a certain row or a certain deck built in these ships for the rowers. You've probably seen these in a movie or read about them in a book or seen a picture drawing of one of them. You know what I'm talking about when the ship or when that boat is placed in the water. You have these little windows that were raised up and and out come all of these oars from one end of the ship to the other. And on this special deck is way down in the bottom. They were the rowers. That's all that they were. They were not the captains of the ship. All they did was row. They were the servants of that ship. Paul essentially says, you And I are those rowers. We are the servants. We are all together ministers of the word of God. My role is one of an example and of a teacher. That is where my job really begins. He says that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, The mysteries is really a reference to all the major doctrines that a New Testament church must hold fast to. And he used this word mystery throughout the rest of the New Testament. We read that word a moment ago in Ephesians chapter one. Paul used the word mystery in first Corinthians chapter one. One of the mysteries is faith alone in Christ alone, that salvation is only through the blood of Christ. Another mystery of the church in, in, that he explained in Ephesus was, was the, the, the relationship of, of the church. The church is the body of Christ and the church is the bride of Christ. That we have a distinct relationship with our Savior. Another mystery that Paul wrote to was to the church in Thessalonica when he talked about the mystery of the second coming. All of these are major doctrines and and, and points of study for us as believers, because I am only born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. I can only be saved by the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that he died for my sins in accordance to the scripture, that he was laid in 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 a borrowed tomb and that he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And it is by his sacrifice that I am saved. We can't get apart from that. We can't get apart from the fact that as a, 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 a born again believer, I am a part of the body and of the bride of Christ. I'm a member of the New Testament church. I can't get away from that. And we can also not escape that one day the Lord will come again. We can debate how the scripture in, uh, uh, describes how that coming will be and the tribulation this and tribulation that and rapture this. But the fact is he's coming. And the life that you and I are experiencing now will come to an end eventually. You will one day stand face to face with God before his throne and you will be judged. We can escape these doctrines. 
And they were attacking Paul. They were getting divisive. They wanted to, to follow this and follow that. We'll talk about that in a, in, in a moment. But I think one of the other mysteries that we need to remember, and this is just a personal mystery, is one that's found in Hebrews 13, verse 17. When the Bible tells us to obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. You see, I'm to be a teacher for you. I'm to be an example. Once I become anything else to you, you will be in sin. If I become your idol, if I become uh, elevated like I should not be, you become a sinner in that area. You don't elevate me. You don't honor me beyond what the Scriptures call to honor a minister of the Word. You see, sometimes we can just put our hope in people that we ought not to put our hope in. We can't do that. I don't put my hope in you. My joy is not derived from you. My joy is derived from the fact that I have been born again. That I stood condemned in my sin, condemned to death and eternal hell. And Jesus came and paid the price for my sins. It is him to whom I sing. Like we talked about a while ago in our worship in the lyrics. We can't put our hope in one another, but together, hand in hand, arm in arm, we strive for the glory of God. That is what we do. The Corinthian church forgot about that. The Corinthian church started taking sides. They started, uh, they started following certain people based upon what they liked and didn't like. Remember Paul said earlier on in the text, we looked at it a few weeks ago, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Remember what he said, who are we? If you follow me, it's only because I want to be following Christ. And you won't be in my shadow, I want you to be in Jesus' shadow. That's where the divisions began. They began picking out what they liked and didn't like. You can like or not like me. I lay my head down each night and I sleep well pretty much every evening. Because my value in life is not based upon how you like or not like me. You have to square with the Lord on that. All I am is a teacher, and I am an example. I do that because I've been called by God. You have elected me by a pretty substantial vote several years ago to be in the position to do this for you, to be your teacher and to be an example. 
See, when I was serving as a chaplain in the fire service, I was issued a uniform. And I was also issued as a part of my uniform a, a little brass badge. I should have brought it with me so you could see it. A little brass badge. The, the brass was only worn by the senior staff of the fire department. It was a pretty extensive organization. We had, you know, 300 plus staff. It's pretty big. But I was considered senior staff because of my position. But see, that brass badge gave me nothing. All it signified was my position within a place. When I walked in those firehouses and stood in those engine rooms, when I was on call at a certain emergency, that badge meant nothing. To the victims, it wasn't much. To the other firefighters, it wasn't all that much. You see, my position was given. My influence was earned. As ministers, you and I are both called to a certain position. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. That is our position. And that's all the position we've been given. Our influence is earned. And I do that by faithfully teaching and being an example of the word of God. He says in verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. That's a big statement for me. Because I must, as your pastor, I must be faithful. I must be wise as a steward of this congregation. And I must be found trustworthy. That is a challenge every single day. Just as you're challenged every single day. We are to look to one another as we ought. You are to look to me as one who teaches and one who demonstrates. The second thing we see in this text is that proper evaluations can only come after I personally encounter the Word of God. Now I'm speaking mainly to you. Your evaluations of me can only be qualified and can come after you personally encounter the Word of God. I cannot tell you the times when I've encountered ignorant criticisms, not based upon any authority of the Word of God, but based upon preferential issues and personal desires. But look at what Paul said about himself. In verse 3, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Verse 4 explains why. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. There's your key. You see, church, I could say the same thing. I could say, I haven't done anything wrong. But it does not mean that I'm acquitted of any charge. Do you know why? Because we selfishly look at ourselves, do we not? We like to take ourselves off the hook, do we not? We like to look at ourselves and say, we have done nothing wrong. Then look at the text. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Now, how do we know how to give an accurate assessment of ourselves? We go to the word of God. Our word judges us. The Bible judges us. The Bible tells us where we're wrong. Paul says, I can look at myself all day long and tell you I'm doing right. But just because I'm looking at myself doesn't mean I'm always right. And thereby your assessments may not be accurate. The only way you and I are right is if we are right with the word of God. That's the only way it happens. And divisions come between the pew and the pulpit so many times. Because you want something your way and I want something my way. Because you see things the way they ought to be done. I see things the way I ought to be done. And we just start marching to the beat of our own drum inside of our own head. There's never a time when we're not excused. That's what Paul was telling us here. He says, verse 5, Therefore I do not pronounce judgment. Before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Now, this is important. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's all right, I think. You see, you've entrusted to me a certain amount of leadership and direction. I first want to tell you that I have never, and I've committed to never, Bring anything before you that I think would ever hurt you. There's nothing that I would ever bring before this flock. That I would ever knowingly say it would would hurt the sheep. So there is to a degree where you say, well, pastor, because of who you are. We want some certain direction and that's very acceptable. There also comes a time when. You and I start letting our flesh get a hold of us. And when our flesh gets a hold of us. That's when problems begin. We have to resist the flesh. We have to resist the fact that. We don't always get our way. We have to resist the fact that. We must always. Strive for the Lord and not ourselves. We can't march to the beat of our own little drum. But by the word of God. I can promise you it will never let you down. It will never let me down. The Bible will never misdirect us. The Bible will never lead us down a path where we will ever regret. The Bible will never ask of us or challenge us to do something where we would say, I wish we hadn't done that. I want to tell you that the Lord will take care of his bride always. Our evaluations will always come best when they are aligned with the word of God, which also means and presupposes that we must be a congregation that is willing to accept evaluations based upon the Word of God. 
we're going to see in next Sunday morning's text that a church that is unwilling to accept direction from the word of God and turn a blind eye to sin is devastating to the local church. Let me tell you as many verses I could give to you, but I like this one in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23. The Proverbs tell us that a word spoken in due season, how good it is. There's sometimes we just need to hear the word of God. We've had a personal encounter with the word of God and we're ready to share that with one another. Another way we can heal the division. Our final point is that our labor as servants will be judged at the right time by the right person. Our labor as servants will be judged at the right time and by the right person. It may be a human trait to judge us preachers. It may be a human trait for us preachers to judge our congregations. But human traits are not excuses. We must remember that living worldly will cause you to live by worldly characteristics and worldly desires. And I can guarantee you that's going to be flowing into your judgments, into your conceptions of how church ought to go, how church ought to be, what the preacher ought to be doing or what he's not doing. You see, Church of Corinth was at best a carnal church. More of the world was in it than what was not in it. They were so influenced by worldly principles and characteristics They struggled in the knowledge of the word of God. And they judged accordingly. Paul writes and he says here in verse 5. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And will disclose the purposes of the heart. In other words there are times when you may question something. You may have a time when you're doubting something. But in your heart of hearts, you know that in accordance to the scripture, it is right and holy and proper. But it goes against all of your carnality. It goes against all of your flesh. Paul says, leave it alone. The Lord will expose the value of that work in due time. He will disclose the purposes of the heart. You see, sometimes we can judge the motives of people too, can we not? You can judge the motives of me. I can judge the motives of you. And I learned early on in ministry. Early on, one of the wisest statements I've ever heard. And do my best to live and remember. Ministry begins when you understand people. When you understand circumstances, when you understand what they're going through and You understand what's happening in their life. And you kind of see things from their point of view. Then you're able to, as the proverb says, you're able to render that word in due season. Paul says we we jump the gun way too quick. We we render our judgments. and, And when we render judgment, what comes next? When you think of a court, 
scenario. When the, 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 the judge issues his judgment, what's the next thing that happens? It gives a sentence. Some of you have put me in jail a long time ago. And I'm serving time. Because you've judged with the wrong motive and at the wrong time. The last phrase, then each one will receive his commendation from God. I'm going to ask you, do you think you'd receive one? If you stood before the Lord this morning, do you think you'd even get one? If my days were done, I have breathed my last today, and I stand before the Lord, I would ask that same question, and I do ask that question. I think to myself often, Lord, what do I have to show for the years of ministry that you've allowed me to live? I've got victories, yes, but I've also got defeats. I've got good decisions, yes. Wise decisions, oh, you bet. But I've also got unwise decisions. And so do you. Best thing that could ever happen to a church is that we just fall on our knees afresh and we beg the Lord for mercy. And we ask Him to heal what we have divided. You see, the Lord never divides His congregation. We do that for Him. And we ask Him to heal it. We confess specifically the things that we have done that we should not have done. Pastors and ministers need to confess that sometimes we get power hungry. Sometimes we want to do things ahead of our time. We want to force and to push things and do things without thinking more and praying more and reading the word more. Pastors must confess that they may not have been the example that they should have. And teaching as they should have. But likewise, the congregations, you need to admit and to confess that I've been in a public venue to criticize my church or my pastor when I should not have. I've stopped coming to church or I've stopped serving in some sort of way because the preacher isn't doing what I wanted him to do. You need to stop making the phone calls and visits and gossip and slander in order to convince someone that you were right and the preacher was wrong. Sometimes we may think we're the only congregation to ever go through things like this. Sometimes we think that we're the first ones. We're not. Corinthian church did it. They've been there. And Paul's advice and instruction to them is our advice and instruction now. The Lord hates division in any shape, form, or fashion. So on Sundays and Wednesdays, what you need to do and what I need to do, we need to just come, first of all. We just need to be here. By the way, that's your mandate. You be here. 
You come here to worship. And let me end on a personal note. I have found in recent time in ministry that I'm not going to be focused on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening when we have our Bible study to turn my focus less on me and to turn it more to Jesus. And to let this time of worship as it is for you, let it be my time of worship. I may be speaking the words. I may be exhorting the word of God to you. But this is my time of worship just as it is yours. And I have found that a lot of pressure has been taken off my shoulders. Because at the end of the day. I'm about four feet higher than you. I'm still a sinner saved by grace. I'm hearing the same word that you've heard. You're hearing the same sermon that I have already preached to myself. I am only here as a worshiper. So many things get lost. All the trivial interests and all the little minor pursuits, they seem to fade away when we turn our focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. We find that we have fewer divisions when we come here to make much about the name of Jesus and less about our name. It just happens. You need to pray for one another. You need to pray for your church and you need to pray for me. I need to pray for you. Never before are the stakes, I believe, as high as what they are right now within the life of our church. We serve a risen Savior. However, that computes with you. Who will come again and judge you. I know that's a nasty, dirty word, but it will happen. He will judge me. We will all stand before him to give an account. And he will not take your petty excuses or mine. He won't take your silly reasoning nor mine. What he's going to look for, first of all, is red. He's going to look for the blood of Jesus. To determine our standing in righteousness. That that it is not my righteousness or anything holy within me. It is all because of Jesus. That's what he's going to look for. But we also have to give an account. We have to give an account of every word that we speak. And the Bible says that we will have to give an account of every careless word we speak. And we have a world out there watching us. We have people out there listening to us. And when they hear us speak just like they speak, when they hear us do exactly what they do, listen to what they listen to, and then we wonder why they don't accept our invitation to church. I wouldn't. Because I can live the same way on Sunday in my own house than what y'all are doing here, apparently. You see, church, the stakes are high. And we still have a job to do. We cannot afford any more divisions. Not anymore.
Maybe there was a time before, but not now. So I pray that you would earnestly search your heart. I pray that you would let the Lord search your heart and let him show you and let him show me any wayward ways within us. Let us confess. Let us repent. And let us receive his forgiveness. That we may be a church unified, restored, healthy, carrying the banner of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for giving us the difficult passages of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for pointing out things that need to be pointed out. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be confronted with matters that we don't always confront ourselves with. And thank you for the opportunity to do something about it. Father, this invitation is going to be given as an open invitation to anyone, whosoever, that may want to come to pray over a matter that is a burden to them. To give unto you something that they should have given a long time ago. To seek forgiveness. Restoration. To put behind them and put into past. Something that happened years ago, but they just can't get over it. They just keep living that same day over and over. They keep living that one conversation over and over again. They keep reliving that hurt over and over. God, help them. Lord, help them. God, help the preacher. Help me, God. I cannot live a day under my own strength and expect to minister as a faithful steward of the Word of God. And boy, I sure do try. God, I know nothing. My wisdom only comes from you. And God, if we expect any hope and any glory out of this church, if we expect us to do wonderful and mighty things, it is all because we first decided we will follow you. We have counted the cost. It is no more my wants and my dreams and my wishes. It is no more my personal preference. It is all you, Lord. God, you are not done with this church. The days of rejoicing and celebrating the sinner coming to Jesus, the revivals, the discipleship, the growth, all of the good things that we expect to see, they are so many yet to come, but they will only come, Lord, if we give up ourselves. And we surrender fully to you. Now, Father, all that's, all that's good and wonderful spoken. But now we're, we're going to enter a time of action. All we really, 
Are we really willing to do more than just speak it? Are we ready to do more than say amen? So, Father, this invitation is going to begin. But, Father, I don't want this invitation to end because I want the decisions that happen here to affect us and to guide us for the rest of our lives. So, Father, may you as in accordance with your will, bless this time, anoint this time, and may every decision that needs to be made, Lord, may it be so. Every heart that needs to be turned, may they be turned. And we'll give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.